Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. I always enjoy these days because it's just me, folks. I hope you can deal with that. Football season has started. They're out there practicing every day. And lo and behold, my partner Keith Jones has gone to the beach. I see how it is, KJ. You're just hanging out at the beach. That's the confidence that uh, I and the rest of our production team have in you that know that we can leave and we are in capable hands. Uh, did you say incapable or capable in- hands? Oh, oh okay. capable hands. I was just just a little bit of point of clarification there. So. Uh, good to talk to you. I know you'll be back here uh, next week. Uh, I was out at practice uh, on Friday. I know you've been following the team as well and, and keeping up with what's going on. Anything jump out to you thus far through five days of practice, six days of practice? The thing that has jumped out at me is is the, the work ethic. And, uh, you know, both in terms of what the kids are talking about and then those like yourself that have been out there, um, I, I perceive I've not been there personally, but the feedback I'm getting is that uh, – Everything's a little step faster, and obviously that bodes well in uh, the need to get the offensive going, and that uh, you know the kids are enjoying themselves. You know this is not a fun time for football, regardless of what everybody talks about. Uh, it's it's a little bit of drudgery, and uh, to the degree that you can continue to find a way to have, at least be pleasant about doing it, uh, I think speaks volumes to the hunger and to the uh, mindset that maybe just maybe has turned the corner uh, for Coach Taggart and his program. I was out there on opening day, and I was standing next to Corey Clark, and he said, what do you think, T-Block? And my co- my initial comment was, the tempo is legit. Yep. Now, that sounds obvious because they were doing tempo last year, but it's a different level, and it's a different level of consistency right now with that tempo. Uh, and, there's, and, you know, and Kendall Bryles then subsequently talked about one of the reasons why he's on the sideline is because you cut out the middleman, he can get the plays in much quicker, and that's all about tempo as well. It was noticeable to me. And I agree. And everyone I've talked to that uh, has been there, like yourself, has voiced the same thing. It's been universal. Yeah, so that that that's impressive. And, uh, you know, so far, knock on something, they've, they've been pretty uh, injury-free. I know Terry's out and Minshew's out. And, you know, Minshew being out, and we'll talk more about this with Bob, uh, it would be nice if you felt confident that you could get him as a returning lineman. But meanwhile, Dante Lucas has kind of become the story of the offensive line in the early going as a true freshman, which, as others have pointed out, is a blessing and a curse. It's good that he can play football, but maybe not so good that he's making that big an impression early on because that speaks to what the rest of the OL is. Well, possibly, possibly. Or is he that uniquely talented for this offense? You know, uh, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. Our listeners are tired of hearing it, but. You know, you can take a three or a four or a five star, and and that measures certain things. But then, can they fit in with the offense, the defense, the position, what they're being asked to do? And sometimes with these freshmen, you get the right fit at the right time, and maybe just maybe that's what we're seeing. And it's uh, it's a very very good thing, obviously. Defensively, Keith, we have become obsessed with the difference is it a four three or is it a three four and taggart just keeps calling it multiple 
And to me, the real question is is more: is it a uh, is it a a three three five or you know or, or what what are, what are the numbers? Because you're going to be in your nickel package sixty percent of the time anyway. But in in your mind, as a former defender, how much of a of a difference maker is that? Whether you're four three or whether you're three four. I would remind people that, uh, and, and I won't uh, remember the term, but what was what was it that we were doing the last couple of years of Fisher on passing downs when they would move the defensive end inside, everybody would be standing up. What was the term they used? Rabbit. Exactly. All that means to me, given the way offenses are right now, is sometimes you're going to ask the guy on the outside to put his hand in the dirt and other times you're going to ask him to stand up. And when he's standing up, sometimes he's going to fall back into coverage. And all that means is you're giving multiple looks to the quarterback trying to make him make a bad read. I think the days, I mean, our listeners won't even remember or care, but we ran the 50. We had a nose tackle, Ron Simmons, right over the center. Nobody does that anymore. But yet they still do it because they'll shift a tackle down into to the three technique. So he's not right over the center, but he's over the shoulder shoulder of the center. All of that is just semantics about what you're doing with your personnel. And when you've got, uh, you know, when you've got Nasral Dean, when you've got Lars Woodley, when you've got some guys that are bigger than the traditional safety, but maybe a little smaller than what you would call a defensive end. But you can walk them up, and they can both rush and cover. You're just creating multiple looks for the offense and making it hopefully that much more difficult for the quarterback to know where he's going with the ball. Anything else jump out to you thus far early in camp? Um, you know, not a lot's been made. I guess it's, um, uh, it's it's old hat now, but you know they are going to go down to IMG for three days. Nobody's even talking about that. Um, you know the 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 ability for some of the young kids as they like to take the freshmen and practice early you know they bumped up a couple of the kids early they didn't go in the morning early morning they went in the late morning i mean just some little things and i think the bottom line of all of it is is seminole nation is just wanting to see what the product is on the field and you know the age-old raiders thing just win baby just win winning takes care of a whole lot of problems yeah, winning, it, it, it's a great deodorant, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> I, I want to get your thoughts on Kendall Bryles, but I'm going to save that conversation for our last segment. He met the media for the first time earlier this week, and I have some thoughts. I, I want to jump into that. Um, before we do, though, I, I will point out that, uh, and I don't know that I've, I've actually said this much, but Madison Social actually was closed earlier this week for a day or two for routine maintenance, and, and lo and behold, they opened back up, and now they've added a brand-new video wall inside. So just when you thought Madso couldn't take it to another level, they've taken it to another level. So uh, tip of the cap there, and we appreciate uh, their longtime support of the program. But I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes, Keith, as, as we wrap up this segment, because we're going to have a new guest on uh, in segment two, a new insider, if you will, to just point out that things have, things have changed, and we've had an opportunity to return to our roots in some respects. Well, return to the roots, but we're taking it to another level. I like it. Do you want to expound, or should I? Let me dive in, and then you finish. Okay. You know, one of the things that we've always said that, that Tom and I have always said about our show is we wanted to be a little different, and we wanted to be old school but still on the cutting edge. So we've, we think we have accomplished that. Uh, Front Row Knowles is now partnering with the Osceola, the Osceola.com, which is Florida State's longest tenured, uh, what would you call them, specialty magazine, newspaper, now on the web, but uh, our old friend Jerry Coots, who, who everyone knows from his almost 20 years, or 20-plus years at the Boosters, was the original owner and founder, along with John, of the Osceola way back in the day. I had the opportunity to work with him then. Our, our listeners may know that uh, our one and only Tom Block had a wonderful 1-900 career with, with the Osceola. You can't even, you can't even say it without laughing. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway. And we've now teamed up with them, and I think what we're going to be able to do is provide some more real in-depth stuff. Tom and I will do some work for the Osceola. Uh, Bob's going to come on board and, and help with us and, and just continue to expand what we're doing and the way we do it, and we couldn't be more excited about it. And let me just add, so to me, an FSU football weekend back in the day was never complete until you read Jerry's column on the inside cover of the Osceola, and that's how many Florida State followers got introduced to Jerry. So 
you know, he had a chance to, to, to buy the Osceola back. That's what he did. And so it's being reinvented right now. Um, second point I'll make is that this will enable us on front row Knowles to do something that we're not going to do a lot of it, but we didn't do any of it before. Uh, and that is talk recruiting because, uh, Patrick Burnham and others with the Osceola cover recruiting, you joke about the 900 hotline, but that's what I was the voice of their recruiting hotline back in the day, back before the web, when you had to call a 900 hotline to get exactly, that data. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that'll be new. And then I also, I, I do want to just make clear for our listeners sake that this was really, uh, it was a good opportunity for us. It happened to come along at the same time that, that some com wanted to do a few different things on their end and uh so this is not a bad breakup with uh, tim linnefelt who's great and will always be a fop a friend of program and he did uh, yeoman's work a great job for the last several years it just uh, it kind of presented itself and it made sense we both work for the osceola so here we are there we go all right. So that said, we'll step aside. I, I, I do want to get your reaction to Kendall Bryles, as I mentioned, and we'll do that in, in our final segment. But uh, Bob Ferrante will join the program, our Osceola insider, and we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we will dive deeper into our Florida State talk as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Keith and I talked about this last segment, but uh, a new season and uh, the start of a new relationship. Really, it's uh, it's uh, I guess the return of an old relationship, if you will, as KJ and I have a long history with the Osceola, and so we're proud to uh, to partner with them and say hello to Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. How are you, Bob? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. You uh, pointed out, and I had forgotten it till you mentioned it, but uh, we actually go back to the days on the the high school football sidelines. Uh, I can't remember if I was shooting black and white video or color, but it, it, it's several years ago now. I think it was eight millimeter, right? I know I was uh, still had the typewriter, and uh, yeah, those were good times over at Gene Cox Stadium covering some uh, really good high school football. And for the record, I don't even know if it was Gene Cox Stadium yet. I think it was just Capitol Stadium. So that's the era we're talking about, right? Let's. Yeah. Just... <laughs> well, anyway, let's talk Florida State football. I mean, you've been through. Uh, we're we're closing in, I guess, on a week. Well, not quite a week's worth of practice, but uh, early impressions. What stood out as you, as you've been out there? I think there's some positives, especially on the offensive line. I think you have to look at it from a baby step standpoint. This is not a a leap forward year for Florida State. It's a Let's let's see some incremental growth, especially with uh, with a new position coach. And Randy Clements has been extremely positive. I don't know what it's like to cover an offensive line coach who doesn't cuss and cuss up a storm. And and Randy, I'm sure he does it, but but he's kind of the very positive, supportive teacher that psychologically I think this team, this this group on the offensive line needs. And I think. You know, they've, they've had some, some kind of shining stars early on. Ryan Roberts, being a, a two-year starter at Northern Illinois, comes in and brings leadership. And then also, you know, Dante Lucas has really been the, the big kind of surprise. I can't recall the last true freshman who has started game one on the offensive line at Florida State. It's probably been probably decades. But Dante Lucas has a shot at right guard. So there are some definite positive signs there. It feels like, and they may have been redshirt freshmen, and it all starts to blur together, but it seems like Brett Williams might have been a, a guy, or Rodney Hudson started as a freshman. I don't recall if he was a redshirt, so those are a couple names that come to mind as you as you dig in. But your point is, Florida State needed help, and it appears maybe they found some in the form of Lucas, because it's regardless of the you know what school you're at, it's not easy to come in and start as a true freshman on the OL. Yeah, and I was really stunned. Coach Taggart the other day said he's he's the most powerful offensive lineman coming, you know, out of the blocks. And you know, just just to hear the a true freshman is is kind of come in with uh, just this widespread praise. Um, you know, Ryan Roberts say calling him a dog was you know kind of a typical term that I think the the players use for those kind of alpha players at the position. But you know, 
if Dante can solidify a spot that, you know, really just needs a little bit of chemistry, you know, they've had so many injuries, eight or nine different offensive line combinations last year. I think it's just kind of a group that's desperate for uh, for some good momentum, and if they can build that in August and carry it over to Boise and through the season. But again, baby steps, I think we can see some real positives from the group. I think most that I talk with, and certainly I'm of this opinion, feel that one thing that will help the offensive line is the offensive coordinator and line coach that came in together. And I'm curious, you're, and I'm talking in terms of how they call the game or, or scheme against what they know to be deficiencies on their line. What were your impressions of Kendall Bryles when he finally met the media uh, earlier this week? Yeah, I think he um, his all gas, no breaks comment, I think really, you know, kind of fueled the fan base. And, you know, last year this was a car that was kind of stalled at the stoplight last year with all the pre-snap penalties and to have an offensive coordinator just, you know, really say, Hey, we're, we're all in, we're going to go, 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 go. And he's been also incredibly positive, I think. And, you know, those guys have worked together. I think since since Kendall was almost a teenager, it seems like they've been at, you know, at uh, Baylor and Houston. And so they know each other so well. I think it's just a, a strong relationship. It's um, it's not one where you're kind of feeling each other out as a as a first year, maybe assistant on the same staff together, and you have to figure out well, what is this guy going to do here, and maybe guess as far as the situation down in distance. What what does my colleague want to do? They they're on the same page. They're almost like brothers, and I think that it's just an underrated chemistry that that could really help this team. I think kind of carrying forward. Other major storylines thus far, and uh, you jump in and steer me accordingly. But uh, well, one question before I switch the defensive side of the ball: How has LeBourne looked? I mean, to me, he looked he looked fine on Friday. I realized they weren't in pads, and I was just out there on the first day. But do, do we think that he's one hundred percent confident uh, on on his knee? I, I think he's one hundred percent confident. He's moving around like a guy who didn't have a, a major knee surgery, you know, less than a year ago. So. You know, that, that's what's also really interesting about Bryles. You've got two incredibly dynamic backs in Cam Akers and K1 and Bourne. Can you get those guys on the field at the same time? How do you use them? Can you flare one out as a receiver here and there? And, you know, well, Bourne out in space is just incredibly dangerous. We saw what he did against uh, Virginia Tech with that one catch, and it was just kind of a small snippet of, of what he can do. But just get that guy the ball here and there. And I, I think... It's got so many possibilities with Akers and LeBourne and, um, you know, just, just utilizing those playmakers. I think that's what Bryles does so well. He just figures out little wrinkles and how to get you out in space. Well, and the offensive skill collection overall is pretty good. I, you know, I don't know where you'd put it in terms of ranking if you ranked every team's skill players offensively. But, you know, to put it in simple buckets, if you want to say the OL is below average and if you just want to classify quarterbacks as average, you'd have to say that the rest of the skill collection is above average. I mean, it's a pretty good group when you factor in the receivers and tight ends. Yeah, I think Kendall Bryles said that too. That he really feels like this group has playmakers at running back, receiver, tight end. They're going to be able to stretch the field, as everyone knows with Tamari and Terry. But I don't really think we've seen enough of Trey McKitty in that capacity. He's a guy who can you know, run that seam and kind of clear open some holes, whether he's the receiver or he's just creating some openings for some other guys. Man, the running back talent's really good. I thought some of the most consistent receivers have been, you know, two of those slot guys like Keyshawn Helton and DJ Matthews. You don't see the ball hit the ground in practice with those guys. They just seem to consistently catch and move, and it's just a very smooth um, route running that they show. So even without Terry, and, and Terry's going to be gone, it looks like, in the short term in the preseason, again, Taggart expects them back for the opener against Boise. But, man, this is just such a deep receiving group. Yeah, I, I am interested to see how Bryles uses all those weapons. Okay, let's move defensively quickly. And this is what I, I started to say. It seems like the bigger, you know, the biggest topic of conversation has been the move from a 4-3 to a 3-4. And then the other ones defensively have been you know, moves that, that were made in the spring, but now players have reverted back to their original positions. And I'm talking about... Uh, Nasraldine, obviously, and 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 uh, Jaden. So fill us in on your your defensive observations and thought about thoughts about the the new look defense. Yeah, I think the coaches are you know saying that things are going to be multiple and and not wanting to give the impression that this is a three four defense. But everything that we're seeing in practice 
is really indicating that this is going to be a 3-4, um, primarily with, with some multiple looks um, kind of blended in. So I think a lot of it is going to depend on what the offense is showing and, and opponent to opponent. They might change up some things, but the 3-4 might just alleviate the problem with not having the, the, the pass rusher or the Brian Burns type of guy. And I think it capitalizes on your offensive, your uh, outside linebacker types, maybe an Amari Gaynor or a Leonard Warner, a guy who could be a stand-up rusher and he can affect the passer, kind of push that pocket without being, you know, your your bigger defensive end type. So I think this three-four is really going to be interesting. You know, we're going to see things against Boise we haven't seen in, in decades because we're used to the, the Mickey Andrews four-three and all these alignments we've seen for years and years. And I think. You know, I was really surprised with Jaden Lars would be staying at linebacker. I thought, again, a natural safety, but it seems like he's bulked up a little bit. He seems bigger. I think he's only gained maybe eight or ten pounds on the roster, but he seems to think that his versatility will will really be good at linebacker. And then Hamsa, you know, same thing. He seems to to be happy where he is at safety. I, I think I would have maybe flipped those two if it were just me, but. You know, again, the coaches are around these guys, and they see how to best utilize them. And you know, they think they've got very versatile players who maybe it doesn't necessarily matter if they're termed a safety or linebacker, and they can just you know use their instincts and kind of you know just just be in the right position to make the plays. Talking with Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. What other uh, things, you know, this is a, a quick snapshot of six days worth of practice so far, but we all, you know, we draw far too many conclusions based on what we see in such a short window. Anything else jump out to you, to you thus far, through, uh, understanding that we're pretty early in preseason camp? Yeah, it is pretty early. They only put, you know, pads on on Tuesday. I would, I would say overall, I think the receivers, you have to be really happy with what they are as a group. Quarterback. You know that that's going to be the big question: is is this James Blackman's team? Is he the front runner? I think I think he is still the front runner right now. I would say Alex Hornibrook is definitely challenging him. You see that experience and the chemistry that he's building with the receivers. Um, the only small concern I have with Jordan Travis is we did see Jordan kind of looking on his knee, and he's been wearing that knee brace for a while. So hard to tell if that's a short term or a long term thing. But I think. You know, to Taggart's theme from the spring, it's been building depth, building competitive depth. We're truly seeing some really good, you know, competition that's, you know, iron sharpens iron. I think that's kind of getting the program back to where it needs to be. Speaking of, uh, of programs that, well, maybe this program is where it needs to be, and and, and that is the soccer team that uh, kicked off preseason camp yesterday. They're the defending national champs. I know you were out there. I, what's What's... You know, this is a big question, but he's won a couple of national titles and he goes to the Elite Eight just, just about every year. What is it about Mark Corian that you think has been so key to his success and his program success? Yeah, I like Mark a lot. He's been just, you know, an incredibly good coach for us as far as dealing with the media and, um, you know, just a top flight guy as far as developing talent, not just, you know, Florida born players, but also, you know, bringing in international players and, and showing them what they can do academically at Florida State. You know, Dana Castellanos, you know, just a huge pickup from a one-year recruit standpoint. She's a junior, is going to come back for a senior year. So, you know, Mark knows that he's got an incredibly veteran team coming back. Not once yeah. that makes it easy for him because he definitely has to challenge them. They just won a national championship. You don't want players to kind of rest back and say, well, we were successful. We're going to be successful again just because. I think he knows, you know, from experience, having won a national title, how you attack that the very next year. And he knows that he's just got so much depth. So it'd be interesting to see how this team kind of comes together. You, you lose a lot of players in the middle of the year because of those international competitions and various matches. But so much, you know, quality depth, I think, and they're unbeatable at home. They're just incredibly tough at the Seminole Soccer Complex. So it's going to be fun to watch them play. And of course they get the first match on the ACC network. Uh, the first live game that the ACC network will broadcast will be against Wisconsin on August 25th. 
We'll have Coach Gregorian uh, or one of his star players on, and that, there's quite a few to choose from when I make that comment. It's pretty much the whole roster in coming weeks because they kick off, uh, I think, two weeks from tomorrow. Bob Ferrante, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, he's with the Osceola, devoted to FSU sports and fan experiences. We're going to uh, hear a lot from Bob in coming weeks and also some of the other fine folks at the Osceola. And I'll point out that uh, you can get a seven-day free trial. Subscribe for six ninety-five a month or seventy-four ninety-five annually. Go to theosceola.com for more. Bob, uh Try to stay cool and comfortable out there at football practice, would you? I'm looking for shade trees, but they're gone. I, I can't believe it. No more shade trees out there. Yeah, and no more shade tree either because we'd welcome him back to the linebacking core if he still had some uh, juice left, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bob Ferrante, take care. Appreciate it, our, uh, our Osceola insider. We'll take a break, but uh, we'll get right back to football. Uh, Bob knows all there is to know about FSU football and athletics. The next gentleman knows that same amount about every program in the country. He's the one and only Phil Steele, and he joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. KJ will be back next segment, but always a pleasure. We've done this for several years running now, and nobody knows more about college football and the college football landscape than this individual who joins us now, Phil Steele, with College Football Preview and Analyst for ESPN as well. Phil, how are you, sir? You know, I am doing great, Tom. How about yourself this evening? I am doing well, and it occurs to me, you know, summer is a time where we count the days down to the start of college football season. We squeeze in vacations. And given all the research you do and then all the interviews you do at this time of year, when exactly is vacation season for Phil Steele? I mean, is it like right after the national championship? When do you take two weeks off? <laughs> well, I never take two weeks off. That would be impossible. But uh, <laughs> my favorite time of the year, my downtime, is is this time of year. It's summertime. <clears throat> Excuse me, in uh, June and July when I'm just doing eight to ten radio shows a day, uh, kicking back, maybe working 50 hours a week. It's like being on vacation. <laughs> There you go, working 50 hours a week. Well, we appreciate that you're spending uh, some of that hour with us today. So obviously, we're in Tallahassee. We want to talk about Florida State. Last year was not a year that FSU fans want to look back on. So uh, tell us what your, you know, your, what your research shows you about year two of the Willie Taggart era for Florida State. Well, I tell you, this is the 25th year of the magazine. And not once have I put Florida State on my most improved list because to make that list, you have to have a losing record the prior year. And Florida State hasn't had a losing record since 1976. So it's uh, for the first time they're coming off a losing year, and naturally they're not only on my most improved list, but way up there at number three. And give you an example from last year, my number one most improved team last year was Florida. Florida went from four and seven all the way up to number seven in the country. My number two most improved team was Utah State. They went from a losing season to uh, an 11-win year. So I, I think Florida State's going to have a big-time improvement. You know, last year... I think the Florida State uh, team was in a first year for Taggart. He had to learn the strength and weaknesses of the players. Players had to learn new schemes, both sides of the football. They did suffer some injuries during the year. And then it seemed like the players might have been a little hurt by the fact Jimbo Fisher had left. Well, this year, everybody is bought in 100%. When I went over the team with Coach Taggart this year, uh, it's a deeper team. They're, they go two to three deep at almost every position. Uh, plenty of talent throughout. These guys will look good getting off the bus. You look at this defense with... Marvin Wilson at nose tackle, uh, Robinson at defensive end, Nazrul Dean at the uh, star linebacker position, Asante Samuel and company. They have a pretty good defense. And offensively, Hornerbrook battling Blackman for that QB job. And I remember talking to Taggart last spring and going over the team, and he said, watch out for Caleb Maborn, the running back. He's going to have a breakout year. And then he got out for the year in the second week of the season. Well, he's back. Akers is back. Uh, Anthony Grant's there, a running back. As long as that offensive line can show some improvement, let's face it, we're not going to ask the offensive line to be great. They haven't been great in a long time. But if they show some improvement, I think Florida State's got some outstanding potential this year get up to maybe a 9 or even 10 win level. 
Well, let's talk about the offensive line because that is the million dollar question. And on, on the, you know, if you wear garnet and gold, the reason for optimism side would be, well, the guys are another year, uh, older, stronger, more mature, understand football. There's a new offensive line coach that's going to have better synergy with the offensive coordinator since they came in together, Kendall Bryles and Randy Clements. Uh, you know, so that's, that's the things I would point out. But what do you see when you look at it from a metrics and statistical standpoint about how Florida State can improve offensively on the, at the line well, position? I, you know, I think the, the one area that they're probably going to improve the most is maybe, uh, the consistency of it. And, and what I mean by that is last year, they used nine different offensive line combinations, which tied for the most of any Power Five team. Now, in the second year of the system, everybody knows the schemes. Uh, they've got their players back. There's plenty of what I call VHTs or very highly touted recruits in there. Uh, and you can only improve on what, what happened last year with Florida State's offense because the offensive line has really been struggling. 2.8 yards per carry last year. Uh, borders on the ridiculous side. 36 sacks allowed. But like I said, nine different offensive line combinations. If they can keep the same unit together and more cohesive, I think that's going to be a big step in the right direction. Another thing we look at here as DeAndre Francois has moved on is that uh, whichever quarterback it ends up being, and, and the thought is it'll be Blackman, uh, if it's somebody with a little more pocket presence, you would get rid of the ball quicker, and that would help with some of those stats as well. But I, I want your opinion about the if Florida State's offensive line is the deficiency offensively, it does seem like we have a pretty good collection of skill talent, whether you factor in running backs, tight ends, or wide receivers. So how do the skill athletes measure up for Florida State, maybe compared to what they typically have or what, what the best teams in the country have? Yeah, I think they're definitely up there. You know, I talked about the running backs with Akers, LeBourne, and Grant. Then you go to the receivers. D.J. Matthews is a guy who's uh, was outstanding in the spring, one of the most improved players. Uh, and then a guy like uh, Terry at the uh, – uh, they call him Scary Terry at the wide receiver spot. Uh, he's a guy that's big and fast. He's got NFL potential all over him. Uh, and it had a touchdown every four and a half receptions last year. Tight end Trey McKitty is a guy that uh, I'm on the Mackey Award list. I'm keeping an eye on him. He's 6'5", 245, uh, and he's got a bright future, perhaps NFL future as well. So there's a lot of talent in the skilled positions. And James Blackman, you know, if he wins the job, he's the type of player that uh, the team will run through a brick wall for him. They really are, are behind him and, and bought into him. And Hornerbrook's a guy that's got a lot of experience coming over from Wisconsin. So I, I like that unit, and as long as that offensive line's improved, you know, I think if the offense can possess the ball more, that defense could turn out to be vastly improved this year. In fact, if you look in the front of my magazine, uh, where we have the projected stats, last year Florida State gave up 416 yards per game. I'm actually calling for them to improve to allowing 316 yards per game. That's a difference of 100 yards per game and might be the biggest improvement of any defense in the country. Well, boy, let's hope that you're right on that. You mentioned the magazine. I failed to give you a chance to promote that. So how do people get the magazine if they haven't already? And trust me, many have because as soon as it hits the shelves, we're all we're all digging in. I appreciate that. Uh, magazine's available at Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Books A Million, CVS Target, Walgreens, Publix, places like that. Many times this year, it's already sold out in a lot of places. And if you find that's the case for the Phil Steele 2019 College Football Preview, you can go to the website, which is philsteele.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. When you go there, you can order the hard copy of the magazine, or you can download it to your iPad or iPhone, your Android device, Kindle, or even your computer. And once you download it to one, you can have it on all of them. So lots of different ways to get it, but it's the magazine you'll be using all season long, all the way through the bowls. Our listeners know, by the way, you could you could answer all these questions about any of the programs in the country, which is always astounding to me that you know so much about each of these teams. So in terms of, of unit groups, offense or defense, segment groups for FSU, which group rates the highest according to your, your rankings? Uh, all three of the defense units. I have the defensive line at number 16. I have the linebackers at number 15. And I have the defensive backs at number 14. So that's a pretty good defense right across the board. Uh, no real weakness uh, on any of the three units, and all three rank between number 14 and 16. So be tough to pick one above the other, but they're all real good. And that's that has the makings of that much-improved defense I was talking about. I like it. I like it. So I'm sure that uh, Clemson is your pick to win the ACC. How do, where do you have FSU factoring into the Atlantic? You know, I, I've got FSU coming in second in the Atlantic this year. I do think we're going to see a big increase in the wins for FSU. You know, I'll say the Clemson game right now, 
Florida State's a 27-point dog against Clemson. I'll have to go look up the last time Florida State was a 27-point underdog against anybody. But against the rest of the division, I think Florida State stacks up pretty well. Syracuse has to replace their quarterback. NC State replacing their quarterback this year. And uh, Boston College only has nine returning starters overall. So I think you're going to see Florida State make a big jump in the standings this year. I've got them coming in second in the Atlantic. I like it. That means we'll be back in the bowl business, back to uh, eight, nine, ten wins, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, quickly, Florida State's key rivals, Miami and Florida. What, what do you see for those two? Uh, I think Florida's got top ten talent this year. They'll challenge Georgia, but I don't know if we're going to see an increase in record. Last year they were my number one most improved team, lived up to that billing. This year I'm thinking they're probably about nine wins for the Gators. Now Miami and Florida, on the other hand, they're the team I've got picked to win the Coastal Division this year. They've got the defense, top ten. Uh, with Manny Diaz back as the uh, 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 manning the defense and as the head coach now. And offensively, when I talked to Coach Diaz this spring going over the team with him, he's extremely high on the hire of Dan Enos as the offensive coordinator. And remember last year, the uh, quarterbacks were uh, Miami combined for 14 interceptions, only about 50% completions. I think Tate Martell takes over the job, improves the QB position. They get better on offense. That's going to help their defense. Miami has a legitimate top 10 defense, and I think they win the Coastal and take on uh, Clemson for the ACC title game. Two more, and I'll wrap things up. Virginia, where do you have them in the Coastal since FSU plays in Charlottesville week three this year? Uh, Virginia is the preseason favorite to win that uh, division, but uh, I've got them tied for a second in the Coastal with Virginia Tech uh, behind Miami. Virginia's got an excellent defense. They've got Bryce Perkins at quarterback, so they are a dangerous team, and I understand why they're the preseason media favorite. And FSU, as you know, opens with Boise State and Jacksonville, and uh, it, it would appear that you, you like Florida State in this matchup. Tell us why. Yeah, in fact, I wrote an ESPN article uh, on that, and I think that the number's pretty cheap right now. Florida State about a field goal favorite. You know, you got the heat and humidity of Florida going against the uh, guys from Idaho who aren't really dealing with that much in the summertime. They're breaking in a new quarterback. They lose Brett Rippon, their four-year starter. I think it's going to be a true freshman at Hank Backmeyer, uh, who could be the next four-year starter there. But this will be his first road start, so that's a little bit of a question. They also lose their 1,000-yard running back from last year in Alex Madison. They lose their top two receivers from last year. So they're breaking in a new skill set. That's not a good environment to go on the road. And generally, when a Power 5 team like Florida State hosts a Group of 5 team like Boise, uh, there's not the, the super intensity, but I got to think Florida State coming off a losing year is 100% focused on this game. They've got to get that bad taste out of their mouth. And so I think it's a great situation for Florida State. I hope you're right. And, and let me squeeze one more in. Your, your final four and your national champion this year, what do you got? Yeah, going way out on a, on a limb here, Tom. I'm going with Alabama and Clemson as part of the Final Four. How about that? Wow, breaking news. Alabama and Clemson in the college football playoff championship. All right. <laughs> So who wins yeah, it, though? That's that, the question. Yeah, then for the other two, I'm going to go with uh, Georgia. I think Georgia's actually a better team than they were last year. They've got Fromm back at quarterback, DeAndre Swift at running back. Uh, the defense looks stronger. And, you know, they've lost the last two years to Alabama, but amazingly, in those two losses, they have trailed those games for a grand total of one minute and four seconds. The only time they trailed in the uh, championship game loss was in overtime on the last play. And then, and there's of course no time on the clock. And last year they led the entire game, or did not trail until a minute and four seconds were left. So they're a big time threat, and I've got them favored in all their games. Toughest road games are against Auburn and Texas A&M, both on the road. And the other team, I'm going with Michigan. And I know a lot of people have been jumping up and down on Michigan the last couple of years since Harbaugh took over, but I'm not one of them. The last 11 years, I have taken Ohio State over Michigan each year. And I've been right 10 times, 10 out of the 11 years. This is the first time I'm actually siding with Michigan over Ohio State. They've got the defense. Don Brown's back as a defensive coordinator. They have five returning starters. And while they lose some talent, keep in mind, two years ago, they had one returning starter on defense and only allowed 18.8 points per game that year. Don Brown will have them nasty on that side of the ball. And offensively, they bring in Josh Gaddis as the offensive coordinator. And I think that's exactly what Shea Patterson needed. Shea Patterson's a, a guy that can run the spread offense. He's now in the spread. They've got dangerous receivers. I recently was working on the uh, Football Writers Association Outland Award list. 
I wanted to put four Michigan out offensive linemen on the album list. They're that talented there. Uh, cut it down to two, but uh, the very talented offensive line. Special teams are top ten. And then their toughest three opponents this year are Notre Dame, Michigan State, and Ohio State. And they get all three of those opponents at home. So add it all up. I haven't called for them before, but this is the year I am. I'm, I'm picking Michigan to run the table and actually make the playoff. And then who are your final two? It sounds like George is yeah. one of them. Uh, actually, I'm going to go with Alabama and Clemson. All right, so was <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You've got two of the most explosive offenses in the country. I mean, at quarterbacks, you got the top two. Running back units right at the top. Receiving cores, one and two. Offensive lines, top ten. And both defenses remain solid. You know, Clemson's going to be a 17-plus favorite in every single game this year. Alabama will be a double-digit favorite in every single game this year. So I do think we're headed back for another collision course of Alabama-Clemson. And the winner is? I'm going with Alabama, and here's the reasons why. I think they've got the uh, – last year they only had three returning starters on defense. This year they have six, so they're better on defense. Clemson, meanwhile, loses those four defensive linemen, uh, three first-round draft picks and a third-round draft pick to the NFL. I'm giving a slight edge to Alabama on defense. Special teams, slight edge to Alabama. Then you factor in a couple other things. Uh, the first one is that the uh, uh, number one team, when these two play – is an accident, has lost all four games. Clemson's going to enter the season number one. They're going to be favored in every game. They'll be number one in the postseason. That's a big plus. And the final factor is a 44-16 to chip on the shoulder for Alabama. Remember when they entered the playoffs last year, uh, the talk was, is this the greatest team of all time? Well, that talks out the window. They've got a 44-16 to chip sitting on their shoulder. I like Bama to bounce back from that and pull out the title game. Makes sense. Thank you for your expertise as always. Uh, the great part is we're not too far from the season actually kicking off. Phil, we appreciate all the hard work you do on behalf of college football fans everywhere. Thanks again. Well, I appreciate that, Tom, and it's always good talking football with you, my friend. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Likewise. Phil Steele, his 2019 college football preview is out there. You can uh, follow along, obviously, as uh, he's an analyst with ESPN as well. And, you know, the 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 disappointing or the depressing thing maybe about thinking about Clemson being a 17-point favorite in every game and Alabama being double digits, that's why there's talk about let's expand the playoff and, and get some more interest. And, and as far as Clemson, one thing that is new for them, they have not been number one and had to wear that bullseye all year long. So it will be interesting to see what kind of factor that is as well. We'll step aside. Keith Jones will rejoin me when we come back, and uh, we'll finish up Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ as we finish things up. Thanks to Phil Steele for joining us, lending his expertise. And welcome to Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Bob will probably be the usual guest, but we'll talk to some of the other folks in the Osceola as, as time goes on. We mentioned it in the first segment. I just want to do it again now for people who may have tuned in or out uh, or, or moved along in the program if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, it was it was a good opportunity. They just happened to come along at the at the same time that Seminoles.com was, was looking to do some different things. So uh, certainly no ill will towards Tim. We'll still see him a plenty, and uh, he'll continue to do a great job for Seminoles.com. But uh, you know what I think of with the Osceola, Keith, as I, as I think back to my days, and I don't remember how long I voiced the hotline, a year or two. It was early 90s. Uh, maybe it was a couple years. But the Osceola would always come out on Sunday, so they'd work all day Sunday to get that thing printed and put to bed. And then there'd be a Monday, I think it was Monday, maybe it was a Tuesday staff lunch, and the lunch would be like three hours you know, I mean, it would just be a complete recap of the entire football game from over the weekend. Bowden luncheons we used to have on Mondays after the game. Exactly right. You broke up for just a minute, so I didn't hear that first part. But anyway, it, it, it'll be a good relationship. Look forward to that. I, and I, I will point out, uh, you may have heard me say it, but uh, one of the things they're going to do there, it's um, it, it's not just sports, but it's going to be devoted to fan experiences too. That's something Jerry's targeting. So I know he's he's written a nice article about sort of the hotel situation here, and, and he'll continue to do some things that are a little bit outside you know, what happens between the lines. 
Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about Kendall Bryles. Your thoughts when you heard uh, his press conference from earlier this week? Um, felt natural. Felt um, not strained. Felt like he was comfortable. Of course, he's been here since uh, January. Been uh, able to go through spring, and then uh, to whatever degree they can, you know, be involved in the seven on seven over the summer. Now in fall camp. Um, obviously, uh, you know, fits the bill in terms of his statistics. Uh, so he comes with a great uh, resume, uh, CV, pedigree, whatever you want to call it. And I think more than anything else is listening to the kids talk about what it's like to be around him, uh, certainly with Randy and, 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 and uh, Dugan's on the outside. You know, this, this is a completely overhauled offensive staff but yet it's a very similar system in what they're trying to accomplish. But Bryles has the ability, and he's proven it at other stops. Florida State, I think, will just be a continuation. He's proven that he can get it installed and get the kids running it efficiently, fast, and with confidence. And I think we saw much of that in the spring game, and I think we'll see more of that when they open in Boise State over in Jacksonville. The thing that resonated with me, and I've pointed it out from the first time I met him, which was at the signing day event, it, it, is that he's confident, and it's confident, borderline arrogant, which was exactly the same way Jimbo was. Uh, so I guess I'm saying confident in a good way that he's got the answer for whatever you do defensively with his offense. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes makes sense. And, you know, a lot of people, and again, our old-time listeners, you know, when Coach Bowden first came to town, you know, Coach was very um, arrogant and, and confident in, in saying and doing and being. And then, you know, obviously ended up backing it up. You know, we, we have the grandfatherly remembrance of Coach Bowden in his latter years. But in his early and mid-career, mid, mid uh, career, you know, he was very aggressive. That riverboat gambler, uh, not back down from anything. And Bryles exudes that same type of thought process, in my opinion. Here's the point that it wasn't until I saw him talk on Sunday that I really connected the dots here. So, you know, Willie Taggart has admitted, and this has come to light in the last few months, that though he's had several rebuild projects, they always came after the previous coach was fired for not having success. And he underestimated or just didn't appreciate how different the challenge would be to come into a place where the coach left of his own accord despite how messy the end was, but had had great success, and thus the team still believed in the coach that had moved on. So you follow me on that? I mean, that, Very much so. That, Very that, much that's, so. that's been talked about, and so you can see how that would be a different dynamic. But what didn't register for me, and I, I processed this some more, Jimbo thinks that Kendall's offense and these tempo offenses are chicken bleep. I mean, he said that to every member on the FSU beat off the record. I don't think he ever said it on the record, but if you ask Jeff or Corey or I or anybody who's covered the program, he's just not a believer in the tempo offenses. He th- he thinks they're chicken bleep. I'm, and I'm saving Matthew the, the you know the chore of actually having to beep that out. And so, and, and that's fine. He believes in his offense. But 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 what I'm what I'm adding to the mix is is so now go back to last year's team and all of Jimbo's players. And it wasn't just that they bought into the coach that that had left. They also thought from that same coach that the new offense that was being installed was chicken bleep, potentially. So that takes longer to buy in. I know I'm going a long way to connect the dots, but as I process that, I really feel like that lingered a lot last year in terms of, okay, why did my coach leave me? He was a good coach. I don't know about this new guy, and I really don't know about his offense. I just, think- like, just like that season was a perfect storm with – missing a game and then not playing for three weeks, and then this happened and that happened and the injury and everything else, the transition was a perfect negative storm. Because you're going, you know, it'd be like going from, uh, you know, the wishbone to the West Coast offense. Now, maybe it's not that big of a, of a change between Jimbo and Willie, but but philosophically it is well but but and if you had been doing that with tom osborne and tom osborne had told you for all your years there the west coast offense stinks exactly exactly yeah so there was a lot of uh selling a lot of proving a lot of you need to trust me and i'll and, and and i'll show you and it takes time to show you and and obviously they did not get off to a good start the offensive uh philosophy and staff 
didn't click the way we think it will this year. So it was kind of like a do-over from that standpoint. But, no, I think you're exactly correct. And we we spend so much time talking about these kids, about how big and fast and strong they are, that we forget that they're 18 and 19 and 20 year old kids, and they were they came to Florida State for one reason and one one philosophy, and now they're having to change it. And and while we do expect them to do that, and while many of them will do it and do it well, it's not an easy process at all. Yeah, and it goes back to we talked about it last week. It's it's not necessarily that everybody was pulling you know, in opposite directions. It's just that some people, as you put it, were standing still, exactly. you know, if you, get, not, you know, not pulling as hard, not, not pulling as hard because they're not a hundred percent bought in. So, so hopefully that dynamic has changed. I, I, I know that that, that topic has been explored, but I don't know that it had been taken to the next level as we just put it, the chicken bleep level, if you will. But I mean, that's just, that's just a fact of the way it was, but en- enough looking back. I do think to, to me, as I mentioned earlier, the tempo was legit. Um, and we talked about a lot of this with Bob, but but the skill players are legit too. I mean, they they not, may not be the best group of skill players that Florida State's had across the board, given how talented FSU's been historically. But they're pretty doggone good. I mean, you'd you'd probably trade them for any group of skill guys in the ACC outside of Clemson. I mean, just for starters, and and most teams in the country. I would agree. And and what happens is when there's that little bit of hesitation, when there's that little bit of uncertainty that really great talent isn't able to prove itself or isn't it be, it's not able to be demonstrated. You eliminate that by making it clear and concise and simple and repetitive, and then you get that great talent performing itself as a great football team. Well, we're six days in. Have you changed any opinions, Keith, or are we just going to just leave things where they were before the before the, the ball went out there, before the pads I, I've went been on? Saying all and I'm going to I'm going to take the Tom Block approach in that we were too optimistic last year, and many of us are too pessimistic this year. I'm still you know, I'm still going on. We're going to win eight. We get a break. We're going to win nine. Anything above that is absolute gravy for me. Yeah, well, there you go. There's a wide you know. There's a lot of real estate between five and seven and twelve and zero. <laughs> but I think I think we're still in the same point. All right, I'll let you get back to the beach and your little umbrella drink and and whatever else. I don't want to hear any other details, but uh, hopefully you'll actually be back in the studios next week. Well, six grandbabies at one time at the beach will fatigue you, but it will make you very very happy. Yeah, and that is no day at the beach if you got six grandkids. I, but I, yeah, I, I, if you're if they're grandkids, I guess it's okay. If it was six kids, that's definitely no day at the beach. I'd have some explaining to do if it was six kids. Yes, you would. KJ, <laughs> we'll talk next week. That, uh, that'll that do it. Uh, again, welcome to the Osceola, folks. Uh, we're creeping closer. Every time you hear me and Keith, or Keith and I, that means we're one week closer to the football season. That is a good thing. We'll talk to you next Wednesday at 6. So long.